as you know, before our guests, we are in the second week of our new teaching series called Swimming Upstream. And in this series, we've been going through the book of Daniel. Uh, and the thing about Daniel, Daniel was that he was a godly man, right? Living in an ungodly world. Daniel grew up, and Daniel, up until about 14, 15, lived in the promised land, lived in Israel. But then at 14, 15, the Babylonians, in due to Israel's disobedience to God, came in, ravaged Israel, took people captives. Daniel was one of them, taken apart from his family and his home, 14, 15, some say 16, dropped into Babylon there to learn and live in their ways and their customs and their traditions, huh? so, which were very ungodly. Now, by the way, Daniel, Daniel never left. Daniel lived the rest of his life, lived and died in Babylon. Now, I believe that we are living in a culture that has shifted. We've said this before, that at once was a Christian country, fundamentally, and the culture really welcomed that warmly and, and, and often celebrated that. Now it's shifted, and it's, it's a culture that has shifted away from honoring God. And in some cases, is a little apprehensive to God. Because as I say, you know, you, know, you used to have your, your uh, person who believed in God, knew God, your agnostic person, that, yeah, I, I, I acknowledge as a God, but it means nothing to me, or I, I can't relate to that, you know, I can't know him, to your atheist, like, I don't believe in God. Just a simple, passive, hey, I just don't believe there's a God. I don't get it. But now we have another category, the anti-theist, meaning I hate God, I'm apprehensive to anything to do with God, and we've seen that come up on the forefront here in our country in the last, say, five years in a noticeable way, huh? Now, the, the Bible is not a book that's written in chronological order. It's a collection of books, kind of in like categories or sections. And one of those sections is called prophetic books, and that's where the book of Daniel is in. It's, it's a prophetic book. And, I mean, what does that mean? Is that God intended through these writings for his people to be both alarmed and warned and encouraged. Those that were there living in those days of Daniel, about 500 years before Jesus Christ was born, so maybe 25, 2600 years before we, our time now, but also, since it's prophetic, looking forward, speaking forward for us here today. No less God's people than the people that were living there in Daniel's time. So we're just going to jump right in, and we're going to go to Dan Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, it's a lot of people, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And then, he, then a herald shouted, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. So, here, it's one thing when somebody sets an idol up, but it's another thing when they're going to force you to worship that idol, right? There's always been some form of different idols hanging out there on the sidelines in the shadows, but perhaps we're coming to a place and a time in our day now we're beginning to see the bits and pieces, the beginnings of being somewhat forced to worship other things, to acknowledge other things, to honor things above what we would know as God. There is a day coming, likely sooner than later, when you and I as followers of Jesus Christ could be called, commanded to bow down to worship something in some form other than our God. To do something against our faith, to maintain a job, to maintain particular relationships, to, in our mind, you know, survive, that we're going to be called to not just literally compromise, but to acquiesce, to bow down, to exalt, to hold high something above our faith, above our God, above what God has called us to. Now, let's keep going. Verse 5, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the, the zither, I don't even know what a zither is, Harry would know what a zither is, and don't bring one in to play it on the team. <laughs> Harry's been banned. I think, I think he's, like banned, he's been banned four times from bringing instruments from different countries around the world. You'll see me up here like, stop it, stop it, down. No. And you see, all right, where are my harp, pipes, and other musical instruments? 
bowed to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So you, you see what's happening here? It's one of the things I love about our faith, my faith. And it's distinctively different than most faiths, maybe all other faiths or religions or, or false idols, call them what you will. You see, what's happening here is there is a motivation to worship, but it's coming from a place of fear, right? It's fear. That's, that's they're motivating people to worship from fear. We worship our God from love. You need to know that, huh? We worship our God from love. You know, I've been pounding away the last few weeks about sin. Uh, I've been hitting on it, I've, especially sin in the areas of sexual relationships. It's just, it's just the rhythm of how we preach different series, different topics, and, and that's just that's how it, we came on it, and so we stay with that. You know, I mean, I, you know, I let you off the hook. I got a, a good friend, Kurt Lang, and it was the East Coast International Church in Lynn, Massachusetts. He felt that there was a huge problem that was, you know, that was behind a lot of the sexual stuff, and it was pornography. For six months, every single sermon, he talked about masturbation. So you have been let off the hook, okay? And nobody, not that many people left. Like, whoa. So we, for a few weeks, we might hit on some of this sinful stuff. And you, and you know, you say, why, do you, why do you talk about sin? Why do you hone in on that? Why do you go there as much as you do? Well, because it's part of the gospel. If you're not aware of this, then you don't know the value of what Jesus did. You know, not to, to talk about Jesus and not bring sin into the conversation would be like, Talking about, okay, we're going to do a documentary on a life and times of Tom Brady. So, you know, Tom gets up and he sits down for breakfast and he has some, you know, wheat grass and then he has some almond milk and then he goes and gets his nails done later on in the day. And we're doing all this, you know, this documentary on Tom, right? And we never talk about football, right? I, I'm honest. I'm getting a habit of these last few days. I'm just an honest guy. Right? Uh, <laughs> I will plead the fifth. So, but you mean doing the real? I mean, how could we not bring up the word, the topic football when talking about Tom Brady, you know, uh, who, as they said at the beginning of our conference, much to my dismay, the greatest, you know, of all time, right? And so, I'll give you that, okay? Yeah, well, I got, some, I got some tough things to say, so I figured I might have come back in the light here, okay? Uh, so same thing, how could we talk about Jesus uh, coming to earth, uh, God wrapped in, human, wrapped in human flesh, incarnate, lived a life to go to the cross and die for the sake of us being saved from our sin, right? So, so you want to bring that in, that you, and there's all other reasons why you'd want to bring up that sin. And we don't really bring it up so intently and intentionally and, and so directly and passionately like we have the last few weeks, but, but it is part of the conversation here, you know, to bring that up. And where was I? I was saying, okay, so the point is when we talk about why don't you sin and why you don't do these things, I, I haven't been hitting the grace part and the love part as much as I would have liked to. So we don't maybe have sex outside of a relationship of marriage or we don't turn around and harbor anger against someone or a parent or a relative or we don't do all these other things which we would be calling sin. One as much as the other, right? No, no different than the two I've just mentioned. Not because, you know, out of an obligation, out of a fear, even that's, that should not be dominating us, but out of, out of a love of God. We love God, right? We're motivated to worship God from love. We love God. Why? Because it says in 1 John, He first loved us. I believe God loved me. The first heart-to-heart -heart conversation I had with God was me sitting there just in, at 2 o'clock in the morning, quiet, calm, and just telling God, thank you. Thank you for hanging in there with me. Yeah. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for dealing with all my crap. Thank you for dealing with all the way I hurt people. Thank you for dealing with the way I, I mocked you and made fun of you and, and, and despised you. Thank you for just that I can sit here and talk with you and I, I just know you're here and I know I'm having a conversation with you and I know you can hear me and I feel good about that and thank you for giving me this moment and I don't, I, I don't I'm going to turn away I don't want to live the way I'm living I don't want to rely on the things I relied on I want to know you more I, 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 I'm going to give everything I can I want to have confidence in you I want to spend more time with you hang in there with me 
You know, I want to keep going. Good conversation to have, huh? That was, that was, this October might be 24 years. At 20 years old, I had that conversation. And I got to tell you, I wasn't doing that because I was afraid of this big, nasty, angry God. Or afraid that, okay, I've, well, uh-oh, I've done two good things and, only, and, and one bad thing. So the good outweighs the bad. I wasn't doing, oh, well, I, I paid my time here. That was when I was younger. Now I'm older. I didn't, that's not how I looked at it. I looked at it as God was present. I could sense his love. I knew he loved me because I had this opportunity now to see this world in a way that I could never have imagined. And the more I saw it that way, the more I saw how warped and depraved and limited the way I saw the world was. That there was a whole new Dave Trelonga waiting to live, right? And a whole world to take on, you know? And I've never looked back other than to thank God for what he's done in my life. And I'm so grateful that I had this conversation that was birthed from a worship of God that came from love, huh? So people will compromise their faith of God, not out of violating their convictions often. Not saying, okay, here's my convictions, here's what I believe, and I'm going to go against it. No, no, what they'll do is they'll, they'll violate their faith in God from a place of fear more often than not. And, and what does Satan say? How does Satan want to be worshipped? Because Satan wants to be worshipped, right? There's a good, there's an evil. I'm, like I said before, man, you don't believe in God, yet you know there's evil in this world. And Satan wants to be worshipped. And how does he want to be worshipped? Through fear. He, he can't, he can't, you can't love him. He's not lovable. He's not a lovable guy. It's got to be through fear that he motivates you to worship him through your acts, through the things you value, through the things you exalt and honor in your life. Huh? All right, so let's kick it over. So let's going to jump over now to, so, you know, to the, the first rule of Satan. This, this is Satan's game plan is to get you to worship someone or something other than God. And I'm telling you that more than ever before, the wolves are at the door, and you and I are continually faced with these situations, circumstances, issues that bring us to do this. When we're brought face-to-face with a decision, with a situation, a circumstance, where what do we do? Do we worship God? Do we exalt Him and honor Him? Or do we not? Do we begin to worship and value and exalt something else rather than God? And in doing so, perhaps literally have taken the bait of Satan, perhaps literally been misled and deceived, and now set off on a trajectory that's so far from what God intended us for. All right, so let's jump over to Daniel chapter 6. And what's happening now is Nebuchadnezzar, he's no longer on the scene. There's a new king, King Darius. huh? And King Darius comes up and he's got a, a plan. I'm going to take Babylon, I'm going to divide it into 120, let's call them towns, provinces, okay? And each town is going to have an officer, a leader. And, I'm going to, and he selects a small group of men, of which Daniel is one of them, and he says this small group of men will lead, will supervise these 120 men. And it says in Daniel chapter 6, verse 3, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability... The king made plans to place him over the entire empire. See, King Darius is different than King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a mean dude. He was a vicious guy. He, he favored Daniel, but really, not really totally because of what he could benefit from Daniel. Whereas King Darius was, was nearly, not nearly as vicious. I, I'm gonna, not going to be careful to really put him in like a great guy place. But he did, ha- he did like Daniel. He, he did have a care for Daniel. And so what happens is now, the other men who are administrators, who are leaders, they begin, they begin to get jealous of Daniel, especially when they get wind of, which I'm sure they did, that the king had these plans that Daniel would soon be head over all of Babylon. Amazing, huh? And so they set out now to kill and destroy Daniel. And they're, they're thinking, how are we going to do this? Because Daniel is an upright man. Daniel is a righteous man. Daniel is not a person of circumstances. Daniel stands for what he believes in. He's consistent. The king thinks so well of him, right for you. How are we going to discredit and destroy this guy? And they're like, you know what? Okay, we can't discredit him, but maybe we can discredit his religion. Maybe we can find a way to discredit, 
to put cloud on, to bring his religion into play, and then we can take him down, huh? And that's what they did. Maybe we could find a way to say, okay, here's the laws of the land of Babylon, and here's your religion, and we see an inconsistency, we see a violation of your religion to the laws of the land, and therefore we're going to now have excuse to discredit you, to demean you, to destroy you. It says in verse 6 of chapter 6, So the administrators, here's what they did, and the high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We are all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, we're all in agreement that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except the Hodan. The first story we talked about with Nebuchadnezzar, the one with the statue in chapter, one, in chapter 3, says you have to worship this. This story, it's more about what you cannot worship, what you're being forbidden to worship. Let's keep going on. Except give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except you, your majesty, King Darius, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so that it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed a law. And unlike our form of government, in Babylonian law, in Persian law, when a decree was made by a king, it could not be revoked. It was done. Now, King Darius did not realize that they were plotting against Daniel. With these, he, didn't, he didn't see their intentions. Huh? He thought it was a good idea. Sure, I get to be praised. You know, and he puts the law onto the books. Now, both stories, this story and the first one, are about an attack. It's, attack, it's an attack over worship. It's all about worship. And this book of Daniel, it's a prophetic book. And therefore, it makes sense that it would give us this picture of the future for us to be alarmed, for us to be aware, huh? At the same time, encouraged just that for the fact that we can be aware. I often say when difficulty comes to the lives of me or my family, I'm saying, okay, pause. Pause right now. Thank God that we are aware of what is good and what is evil. Thank God that we are aware of what is right and what is wrong. Thank God that we are aware of, you know, just the awareness. I always say, as I said before, the greatest change, the greatest thing that happened to me when I came to Christ was the way I viewed the world had changed now. I had become more aware of good, evil, of right and wrong. I had become more aware of myself, which is a lifelong journey, and it still goes on, it keeps going on, and that's powerful. And so this book is helping us to be aware today, huh? Aware that there's going to be this battle over worship, over who we will worship. And that's significant because we were made to worship. And this battle will climax in the ending of times. The ending of times and in ultimately the end of days. The ending of this world, it will be all about this. The battle over who you and I will worship. Who will be worshipped? Who will be exalted? Who will be honored? Who will be worshipped? It started out in the beginning of time. And I don't mean Adam and Eve. I mean, before Adam and Eve, the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 14, tells us in Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel, how this angel named Lucifer, who was head over all of music in heaven, and particularly music that worshipped God, that praised God, that exalted God. Lucifer supervised all that, and one day he said to his angel, he said, you know what? I want to be praised. I want to be exalted. I want to be looked to in a, in a significant way. Not also, but more than God. And God didn't take that lightly. And that attitude and that way of thinking brought Lucifer a boot out of heaven. The scripture says like a lightning bolt from heaven, he came down to earth. And his name went from Lucifer to what you know as Satan. And that's the story in the history of Satan. Now, many believe that this happened right in the very beginning of the first few verses of Genesis. You have Genesis 1 and then Genesis 2, and kind of like right in between there, this happens. And then Genesis 3, God brings light, because now the earth was a dark place. And God brings light, and he begins to bring things back into order. But ultimately, the move to bring order, to, to remove, to restore, what is most important worship comes when he creates us, you and I. See, because he's got a predicament. He's got this cherubim, this angel of angels, who's unemployed, hanging out down on earth, right? 
And he's got no worship leader up in heaven. And so what does he do? Who does he get for his worship leaders? You and me. He creates, he creates humans, mankind. He creates men and women now. You will worship me. You will lead others to worship me. And we become God's worship leaders. It's not a stretch. It's true. We were created to worship God. You've got to pause and get a hold of that. That this is why you were created. This is your great purpose, the greatest of all purposes in life. We've got, I'm a dad, and, and you're, you might have a sister in, uh, who's an architect, and who, we've got all different purposes and titles and positions, but the greatest of all is that I was created to worship God, huh? And, you were, and, and when I get that, and I cherish that, and I embrace it, and I, I live that out above all things, then order comes into my life, Yes? Things fall into place. I begin to live out that straight path rather than going one step forward and two steps back, rather than living my life in circles, rather than making the same stupid decisions every over and over and over and thinking that they're different, huh? Because I can see clearly, because I'm worshiping God. All right, so where am I here? Listen, that's why Satan hates you. He hates you. He despises you. He looks not to discourage you, not to see you in depression, but to destroy you. That's why he baits you into sinful things. And to say, gratify yourself now. Live for the temporary. Do this now. Put this above God now so you won't see clearly. So you'll make those decisions again the same way you made them before. Huh? So you begin to hone in on desire something more than God. Never realizing that what God has for you is not just, I got to be a good and a bad thing. He's got grace. He's got love. He's got peace, which is a closest with him and realizing that things are all together and they're going to be okay regardless of the circumstances. Your perspective changes. I read something in a book earlier this week, something about perspective is powerful because it's the one thing that, when changed, can make the biggest effect on your life, yet none of the circumstances you're living in have been changed. Does that make sense? I'm sure I butchered it. As I say... Nothing's changed, but everything has changed. It's truly when you're knowing you're having a God experience, right? That from your faith in God, you've transcended the current circumstances that have, that have bitten at you, that have, that have held you down, that have tripped you up, that have caused you anxiety or depression or worry or whatever, or unhealthy emotions, fragmented relationships. And no, you know, I'm rising above this. I'm rising above this week, this month, this 10 years. I'm rising above the history of my life. I am rising above all of this circumstances, issues, and happenings. And my eyes are fixed on the author and the finisher of my faith. Right? I'm going to praise God. I'm going to worship God. Psalm 150 verse 6 says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. There's just something about us praising God. How could you try and praise God and live in sin? Try and praise God and do something unhealthy and damaging to yourself. It's really hard to do. I mean, unless you jump off a cliff, praise God or something, you know. Try and be angry and bitter and filled with resentment while you're praising God. You can't. Because the best of you is living out and the worst of you is being diminished. Try and praise God and fill your mind with ungodly and unhealthy thoughts, you know. You can't. There's something about when we come together. Now, you come praising God in your home, in your living room, in your bedroom, in your car is wonderful, impacting, and meaningful. And then there's something unique about coming together as a community of Christ followers and praising God, right? Of singing, of lifting our hands, of worshiping, of, and expectations, and getting excited like something's going to happen. That's right. When they come into that building, it's just a building that we expect something to happen today. We expect the Jews a guest. We expect lives to be changed. We expect people to go into detox. We had somebody else going to detox this past week. It's the fifth person in the last seven months that this church has been directly involved to different degrees, but directly involved in helping get into detox. Praise God, huh? And they battle, and they go, and they fall, and they get up, and they battle. But it's a battle. It's a battle. Why? Because Satan wants them not to worship God. And the moment they turn around and realize the truth, and the moment they begin to compare, like I did, this was good, this sucks, this was good, this hurt me, this was good, this is debilitating to me, this God thing, these people, this church, this is good, this is how I want to live my life. And then they break... And then they pause, and suddenly they sense the presence of God. I believe it. Huh? 
and they sense there's something more to live for. And then they begin to now move to God, and God becomes higher than any drug, higher than any way of life, and they begin to worship God. And that's what we're called to do, to worship God. You know this, we had a, the, the hence the whole warrior thing here. You know, so this past weekend, Friday, Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, 24 guys from our church, huh? It's a good group, man. Last year, first year, 12, this year, 24. 24 guys went to what's called the Warrior Conference. Over, almost 1,000 men come together. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible conference for men from 30 different churches, six, seven different states, come together, mostly from New England, 1,000 men come together. And as soon as you walk in there, you, we, we are expecting, that you, you, we are ready to praise God. You know, guys like, you know, calm, reserved, you know, not let our emotions out. No way. You walk in there, yeah, yes, they're high-fiving. You can't get into the place to sit down with at least probably 50, 60, 70 guys surrounding you, high-fiving you. Yeah, now, tonight, yes, boom, 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 boom. Like, get ready. We are expecting something wonderful to happen, you connecting to God. And then we get in our seats, and we start to praise. And we start to talk to God. Why? Because we're, ex- we get, we're excited. We're warming up now, right? It's not dormant. It's not like, well, it's just another day. It's not like, okay, we got to do this. It's the right thing to do. You know how we kicked off this year? We have the video. It's marshmallows. That's what we did. We just threw marshmallows at each other for 10 minutes. It was cool. All right, I got it. That's good. That's good. So that's how we began our warrior conference, right? Excited, laughing. I I couldn't even move my feet. I was sticking to the floor because of the marshmallows. I got popped like five times in the face, I think from my own people. That's another story. The object was to throw it across the place. Some of them hit me way too hard and... No way that came from across the place, but that's another, that might have set the tone for the rest of the weekend. It's another story. But uh, the point was, okay, man, we, we, this, we are here expectantly, exuberantly, we're excited huh, to worship God, to have fun, to enjoy God and glorify him, you know? We're going to come out of this time, our lives are going to be changed. We'll be, we'll be kinder to our wives. We'll be, we're going to be more understanding to our children. We are going to worship God. We are, going to, we are going to look at that thing, sin right in the face and say, you know what? No, I don't want you in my life. I don't want you in my children's life. I don't want you in my wife's life. I don't want you in my... No. We see it for what it is. We have been, uh, we have been warned. We are aware. We are prepared. We will worship God, huh? We had a blast. We, it, it was fun, man. I think we did beach balls the next uh, morning. You know, they were a lot less on the face, I got to tell you. So, look, when we praise the Lord, when we worship him, Satan just so hates that. And he hates us doing that. Yeah. Remember, the whole thing started with a battle over worship. And the whole thing will end with a battle over worship. And the Bible talks about that in the end times, there will be an antichrist. There will be a force, a person that will come along and look to deceive you and deceive us and lead us away from God and bring us to worship something other than God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4 says this, says, don't be fooled by what they say. Why does it say, stop it, why does it say don't be fooled? Some versions say don't be deceived. Because there's a tendency for people, you and I, to be, to not know what's going on. To be just not aware of what's happening, you know, where we're going and gradually how we've gotten there, huh? And you might say, well, I'm not being deceived. Well, if you were, you know, you get it? Of course you don't know you're being deceived. That's why you're being deceived. (laughs) If you knew you you were being deceived, you wouldn't be deceived. Huh? Keep going. For the day, that day will not, for the day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness, the Bible calls the Antichrist, that's who we're talking about now, is revealed. The, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship 
so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Basically, you can't worship God. You've got to worship me. Jesus called this moment in world history the abomination of desolation. Meaning, he says, when you see this happening, you know the end has now come. In the book of Revelation, Satan sets up an idol. The end sets up an idol. You're gonna, people will worship it, not because out of love, out of fear. They will give in to their fear. It says you will take a mark. You will, a mark will be adhered to you. I used to think when I first went here, this like 20-something years ago or 30 years ago when I was kicking around Christianity and going to church, like, this sounds like you're going to have to have a mark and by that mark they're going to know you and they'll know everything about you. It sounded so absurd. It doesn't sound absurd anymore. No. I mean, it really sounded like, okay, whatever. Who could have fathomed that 30 years later from when I first heard about this, that, that we are where we are now, that you will be called to make a mark. And that mark will be a sign of loyalty and faithfulness to this group, to this person. And ultimately, you will worship by the way you revere, by the way you hold high, by the way you acknowledge and acquiesce, you will worship this. And you will do so if you want to function in this world, if you want to buy goods, if you want to function, if you, want to, you will do this. My son Justin said, I wonder if my generation will see this. I said, you know, it might. It might. Huh? But that's where we are, we are coming into this where we can actually see some of this taking place. Huh? What are you going to do? What would we do if we came upon this? Would we worship this Antichrist? Would we take these marks that are certainly come in a form that we would probably be misled or deceived by if we're not aware, if we don't focus on what Daniel's telling us? Be aware, be alarmed, but be encouraged. Be aware, be alarmed. There's people there that are going to try and deceive you. They're going to try and bring things into your life that are going to seem more desirable, more important, more valuable than God. Be aware that there's going to be time when you're going to be pushed and coerced little by little to acquiesce to these things that are against your faith. And be aware that if you give in here and there, you're moving away from worshiping God, from exalting God, from trusting in God. Be aware you're being deceived. You're being misled, huh? Satan is taking you from true worship of God. So listen, Daniel was warning us. And so specifically, what does he warn us about in this book? Well, first, he was telling us that the spirit, what he was telling us is the spirit of Antichrist is motivated in an evil way to do two things in our lives. And you see this throughout the entire Bible. First, Satan is motivated to exalt man above God. He wants you to worship anything other than God. And he'll cause you to find things in your life that to you seem more valuable, more worthy, more dependable than God, than the one true God. They are more worthy of your worship than God. And it's one of the reasons why we've kind of become this hedonistic society. So I'll pause there. I don't think culture is terrible. Or when we started this church, I said, look, we're not going to have this attitude that coach is bad and the church is good. And, you know, we, we keep away from the culture. That's, that's, that's sec sectarianism. sectarianism. We, don't want, we don't want to sync with culture. We don't want to acquiesce with culture and become a tasteless, odorous glass. No, we want to engage culture, saturated with the gospel, the truth. Huh? We want to, we want to interact with culture but holding to what we believe in, but worshiping God. Get involved in culture. Connect to culture. It's why we do the Super Bowl thing. It's why we do the God at the box of us. It's why we do the great, you know, relate to but don't acquiesce to it. Worship God. The whole time, people will know what's most important in your life. It is God. If you are around me for hours or days, you know the most important thing in this man's life is Jesus Christ. Yes? You simply cannot come to any other conclusion if you are around me for even for a short time. Not minutes, maybe not even hours, maybe, but certainly days, huh? So, hedonism is when you determine what is good based on your own feeling, huh? And, and there's this thought that, and again, it's kind of come into us as, as, as believers, if you will, that God wants me to be happy. God wants me to feel good about myself. God, this is what God wants for me, you know? And so if I feel good, if I feel happy, the way I feel is paramount, is what, God, you know, so my feelings 
you know, it's gotten very subjective to how I feel is how I govern my life. And if I feel good about doing these things in that moment, God is good with that because God loves me, right? And that's just far from the truth. God does love you, and He is a God of love, but He's a God of love and justice and mercy, huh? And we talked about that sin in the beginning, huh? Why Jesus came. So God does not love us. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Meaning, if you love... And it, when He said it there, He says, it's like, kind of like along the lines of, if you love me, not if you love me, prove it by obeying my commands. No, He's saying, if you love me, you're going to obey my commands, huh? Right? You, you hear what I'm saying? Why do I love God? Because he loved me first. Why do I obey commands? Because he loved me. So Jesus saying, if you love me, if you know, if you truly love me, you're not going to want to do all this other stuff. It's not going to bring that, it's not even going to bring you that temporary pleasure that you thought it would. would. It's going to be so less gratifying than loving me. If you love me, you will obey my commands, huh? So this hedonistic way of saying, you know what, it's, it's what I feel. And Satan wants you to get to that place. Satan wants you to bring that into maybe a, something that you might have concocted about a faith in God. And it, it really, what's he doing there? He's depriving you by deceiving you of what God truly has for him, for you, and that is a relationship built on love and trust with Jesus Christ. Amen. That is truly fulfilling. That, is, that will bring you peace, a closeness with God. That will bring you true joy. I mean... Just unspeakable joy, I meaning there's no way you can describe it. It's just, it is, it's indescribable when you have that moment that you know God has demonstrated himself in your life powerfully. You feel this closest with God and you th- see things happen in your life that you knew could not have happened by your own hand and that is a beautiful moment, yes? And it happens in the simplest things and in the largest things and for me, I live for that moment. You know how if you like golf and I think golf stinks, but you know, what a stupid game. But anyway... <laughs> Just thought I'd be real here. You hit a little ball and you keep all over. It's, it is. All right, I know we have a lot of golf enthusiasm, so I extract the stupidness out of that comment. But no, I mean, you know, you know why they keep playing the game? Because every now and then, I've watched this, because I'm like, why would they do this? Why, you know, George, I went because he was too vulgar about it, but he was hysterical, but why would they really become enthusiastic about hitting this thing and then walking for like hundreds of yards to chase it? to who knows where, right? And pay a lot of money to do it. And dress somewhat absurd at times to do this as well. <laughs> and what it is, is every now and then, there's one thing about golf. They'll hit a shot and it'll go right near the hole. I mean, it was total luck. Don't talk about it. It's luck. And, and it just keeps them in the game because they just did like what they watched somebody on TV do, you know? Right? They just did what they saw a tiger. I mean, they, they got that close. See, the thing is, when you're trusting God, you do things so far beyond what you ever thought you could have done. Ephesians 3, 20, 21, that God will do in your life more than you've asked, more than you can measure, more than you can imagine. To him be the glory throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Yes? Yeah. When we worship him. And I'm kind of... Okay, so let's just kick this through. So, look. <laughs> it might not be that for you, huh? You might not be aware that maybe there are struggles going on in your life where maybe you're not truly worshiping God. But today I hope huh, that hearing of Daniel's words, which God intended for us to look to today and apply in our lives today, that, that we might be more sensitive, more clearer, have more courage to say, wow, am I truly worshiping God? Look, am I standing for God in a, God, in a culture that seems godless, am I in an ungodly culture, am I living out my faith in God? What am I going to do when I get challenged later today, tomorrow, this week, in my home, at my job, in my life, three months from now? What am I going to do when I'm challenged to truly hold to my faith and worship God and exalt Him or acquiesce and worship something else and exalt something else aside from God? What did Daniel and his friends do, you know? Well, let's go back to Daniel chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. And we've got to get going. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O king Nebuchadnezzar, and we're going back to the first one, Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, 
our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of the hand out of your hand O king but if not let it be known O king that we will not serve your God or any God or worship the golden image that you've set up incredible right like listen we're not going to bow down to you we're not going to bow down to that statue we're not going to worship that statue we're not going to worship you we'll worship our God we will worship our God and yeah we believe our God will deliver us one way or another. And you know what? Even if we burn, regardless, we're not worshiping in that statue, right? I mean, we're not just in it to get what we want. We do that sometimes, right? Like, okay, I'm going to do this for God. And we have this expectation, kind of, and it's good to have an expectation of drawing close to God, of feeling the presence of God, of feeling this peace, closeness with God and His joy, this unthinkable joy to see circumstances come together in a way that you never could have imagined that is usually so far outside yourself and what you would have done, but no, but having this expectation of a cooperation with our predetermined agenda, right? So I'll do this good thing and then God will do that good thing. Well, I've done this good thing and where is, where is payback, baby, you know? It's how we can perceive this God thing. It's kind of a prosperity mentality, and it's very unhealthy, and it's very ungodly, because what it does is we worship us, we exalt us. God becomes an accessory. God becomes a servant to us. It's not what it's about, yes? So, what they did, and you say, look, you know, it's not going to happen to us. We're not going to have to worship this false God. You know, and you don't, look, it's on us already. And again, if you look in different ways on smaller scales than the Antichrist setting up that, uh, the abomination of desolation, it's on us. The question is, what are we going to do about it? Huh? Are we going to stand in our faith? So I'm just going to move to the next thing, and then we'll close. Worship team coming up here, and i got to jump out of here. The first thing Satan did was telling you, you're going to worship this. You're going to worship this false god. I'm going to get you to worship things apart from God. The next thing we saw in Daniel that Satan does is he says, you're not, you know what? You're not going to worship your God. Not so much now that I'm going to get you to worship this. I'm going to make sure you don't worship your God. I'm going to make sure that I'm going to change what's going on around you to hinder you from truly worshiping God. Huh? And that's what was happening. What did Daniel do? In chapter 6, when faced with that challenge that his culture brought him, his culture brought to him of worshiping God or, or worshiping one other than God, in that case, King Darius. It says in verse 10, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open towards Jerusalem. It's just a great, it's just a great sentence right there. With his windows opened, he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So Daniel's like, you know what? I'm not going to do this. See this decree about worshiping King Darius? I like the guy. Matter of fact, he's my favorite king ever. huh? But I'm not going to worship him. And I know, ah, maybe you know, he's a good guy. What's the big deal? I don't believe that anyway, so it doesn't matter if I do it, you know? He says, no way, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to worship anyone. I'm not going to even let this creep into my life. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go the other way. I'm going home, I'm blasting my windows open, and I'm just going to let everybody know I'm praying to God. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm not bowing down to anybody. Hear me loud and clear. I, see me, watch me. I'm going to pray to my God. Huh? Not, I'm not going to be timid about it. You, you hear what I'm saying? I mean, there's a boldness in him, a consistency, a dedication to pray to his God. Look, you know, we do that. You know, you go to the, you go to the DMV place and you sit in line and you will likely sit in line at the DMV, Department of Motor Vehicles. And, you know, you have this book that you read at home and it's talking about God, you know, a, woman's who, a woman who's, who loves God, a, a guy who stands for God, whatever the title is, maybe a Bible. And you go to pull out and you realize people are sitting like really close. And you're like, well, you know what, maybe I won't pull that out. Maybe I won't let them see that title. Huh? Maybe I'll kind of, you know, put it a certain way. Maybe I, I don't, I, who knows what they'll think. And I, we could do this stuff, you know. Who are we worshiping? What are we worshiping? Who are we exalting? 
Even in the small things, worship God, exalt God, look for every opportunity. Yes, with gentleness. The fruit of the Spirit, and it's not nine separate, it's one fruit, is gentleness, kindness, and goodness. Yes, absolutely. But there's nothing non-gentle about opening up a book and reading it, huh? There's nothing non-gentle about taking your Bible out and reading it. When I walk into the hospital and visit people, I, I, I always have a Bible in my hand. And I, I do that intentionally. I want them to know this is somebody who's coming to visit someone, to care for them. And, he, and it's funny, they know what it is. They know what it is. Something about that book, whether it's this size or that size, they just know what it is. You know? I'm, I'm being sincere. I'm on the plane. I'll take it out. Maybe the person next to me might say something. Like, for seminary, a year ago, my final project which was, I think it represented 50% of our grade, we had to write a 3,500-word essay that we sit on a plane, we open up our Bible, and the person next to us says, do you really believe in the Jesus stuff? I mean, who was he? Stop. 3,500 words. Boom. Go. Right? Enthusiastic and gladly. I'd love to have that conversation with somebody. And I look for the windows and the opportunities. Why? Because I'm worshiping God. Not that I, 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 it's a worship of God. It's a proclamation of my faith. So I'm getting off the point here. Listen, let's go to closing. So how do, how do we do this? How, how, how do we make sure that we're not worshiping the wrong thing, the wrong one, and that we make sure we're not hindered from worshiping the one true God? Jesus tells us. He tells us in, in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. It's in other areas in the Bible. It's called the Great Commission, and we will move quickly to the end. Biblical scholars have called this the Great Commission. The great, I'm sorry, the great commandment, the greatest of all of God's commandments in the scripture. And it says this in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus says to love God. Do you love God? Well, how? He says to love God with your heart and soul, meaning, and, and then with your mind, and then with your strength, right? Listen, let's do a worship check this morning. Are you loving God? With your heart and soul? Are you loving God with your mind? Are you loving God with all your strength? Do this. Do with a checklist. Am I worshiping God? Because if I am, then these things should light up the board here, right? They should be in a good place. Huh? Your heart is where your emotions are, right? It's where affections come from. Do you have great affections for Jesus this morning? Do you have heightened affections for Jesus Christ this morning? This is what Jesus was talking about. When he said to love God with all your heart, do you think about, what are you thinking about? What's going on in your mind? Have you ever been aware of the thoughts that are flooding your mind? As I talk about all the time, these conversations, these dialogues that happen in our head. Have you ever noticed the prominent topics that are taking place? Are they honoring God? When you say, wow, this, what's going on in my mind, which has my attention in my head, you know, Clearly, I am loving God. Clearly, my attention is to love God. I am loving God with all my mind. Because if you are, you're worshiping God. If you're not, whoa, there's an opening for Satan. Maybe you're not worshiping God. And your strength, with your resources, with your abilities, are you serving God? Are you serving God with all your strength and all your... Sure, you could be doing other things, absolutely. And sure, you could be thinking about other things. And sure, you could give your affections to other things. I'm, normally, Chris would be here right now, and I'd give her some affection, but she's not. <laughs> we give Bill some affection. I had enough closeness with guys, huh? <laughs> Marshmallows. So, listen, it's easy to lose track. And that's why Jesus said, This is it. This is how you worship God with all your heart and soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Serve Him. Meaning, let it be at the top of your list. Are you giving God the best of your life? The Lord wants to have your affections. He desires it. He wants to be the most prominent thing in your mind. Not the worries, not the uncertainties, not the comparisons, not the lust, huh? Not the anger, not, oh no, the, the negative thoughts. No, God, the praise, like we started praising God and thinking of God and thanking God. Loving God in your mind and in your strength, man. What can I do to worship God on this earth? How can I make a difference? 
Is that like I'm out of time? What the heck was that? <laughs> well, I'm at the end, so it worked out well. Listen, Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 23, but the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. That's Jesus, huh? Why don't you stand with me? I want you to desire to be that person today. I want you to be that person that God is looking for. God is searching. God is looking for those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth with their heart and soul, with their minds, with their strength. If you're not that person today, perhaps you will be determined now to change your direction and to become that person. Right now, more than anything, you say, this is who I want to become, someone who loves God with all my heart and soul, my mind, my strength. I want to worship God. I will not be deterred from worshiping God. Huh? I will not worship anything else other than God. I will examine. I will be aware of all that is in my life. I will take a self-inventory. And I will gladly and courageously and with wisdom provided by God's Holy Spirit move forward in this direction. Huh? Look, let's make the decision now. Who are we going to worship? Who is going to win the battle for worship in our life? I'm going to say that slowly. Someone is going to win the battle for worship in your life. Right. It will be yeah. Satan or it will be God. Who is going to win the battle for worship in your life? This morning you can make that choice, yes. You can make that choice well. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this morning you could say, you know God, man, I might have screwed this up a bit. It's been a bit confusing. I might have harmed myself. I might have harmed others. I, I just might have been living this way that seems to be so far apart from you. huh? I guess it's what they're calling this ungodly. I guess I was immersed in this ungodly culture where I just did what I felt was right that made me feel good. I did what I did to help me with my worries and my fears. I, did, I, I, you know, I didn't know. I was deceived. I was misled. But this morning, I'm sensing this truth that's coming upon me. I'm sensing you speaking to me. I'm sensing you stirring in me. And you know what? I'm not going to shut it out. I'm going to let it rise up in me. I'm going to give all my mind to it. I'm going to give my heart to it. I'm going to give my strength to it. And I'm going to call out you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior this morning. Have your way in me, O oh God. I worship you this morning. And I turn to you with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. Amen.